Welcome in to the week 11 recap show for the SEC Slow Smoke podcast. I am your awesome host, Holt. Alex couldn't be here tonight. He's, I assume, face down somewhere. Um, he had attended a wedding uh, today. Someone decided to get married on a Saturday during college football season, which is just the worst. But uh, he was supposed to be recording with us tonight, and then he just wasn't answering into our calls, so hopefully he's okay. And uh, so that I am joined by uh, my co-pilot for the evening, Mr. JB. How's it going? I'm well, Holt. I hate that I've had to miss the last uh, couple of podcasts here and there, but I'm going to try to uh, work my schedule better to where I can uh, make more of these uh, podcasts with you guys. And yeah, I absolutely hate fall weddings and, and it's just, I can't understand why a lot of people want to schedule them during the fall. I know, I mean, I guess I can understand for the weather reasons and like fall is just romantic and stuff, but I mean, damn, like you're, you got only 14 Saturdays or what is it? 14, 15 Saturdays of college football and you want to schedule a wedding during those Saturdays. You've got nine months out of the year you can schedule a wedding for. You don't need to do it in September, October, November. I'll get off my soapbox, but I just absolutely hate fall weddings and anyone that schedules it can go eat a big one. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. But uh, you know what? Wedding or not, there was still a great day of college football. And uh, we had a, we had all SEC matchups today. No out-of-conference games. Nobody was off. Everybody played today, and it was all nothing but SEC matchups. We had seven of them. So, uh, you know, you do your math, it's 14 teams. So, even I know that. And, uh, you know, the it was a lot of really – Exciting games, um, a lot of a couple of games that were not too exciting. What uh, what stood out to you from uh, from week eleven, JB? Uh, what stood out to me was the fourth quarter of the South Carolina Florida game. Uh, South Carolina's collapse or Florida's comeback, however you want to define it. Uh, Florida had a, had a thirty one fourteen deficit in the beginning of the fourth quarter, or just before the fourth quarter. I think it was like two minute two minutes left in the third quarter, and they scored twenty one unanswered to complete a comeback against South Carolina Gamecocks at home and under Felipe Franks, too. The guy that was benched last week for Trask, who ended up getting hurt, and then Franks is thrown right back into the fire this week. So he had a huge chip on the shoulder coming into this Saturday, and he played a pretty decent game. I'm going to have to give him some credits. And Florida was able to find, find a way to squeak by the Gamecocks, and that's the one that really stood out to me the most. Yeah, and the thing that really stood out to me about this game uh, was South Carolina's defense. Like, they just – I mean, they've had a ton of injuries, but, man, they just – they look lost today. I mean, they couldn't tackle anybody. Scarlett and uh, P. Ryan ran just all over them. Even Franks, um, whenever they let him run in some short yard situations, they just could not tackle whatsoever. And uh, they got a little conservative on offense, I think, when they got that big lead and – you know, I think it was kind of some big plays uh, early in the game that got them that lead, and uh, they kind of got a little conservative thinking that they had it wrapped up. But, uh, you know, the defense couldn't hold on, and, you know, that's supposed to be well, much champ's calling card is the defense. It, it is, and I mean, it just – I was just uh, discuss or not discussing, but just reading what some South Carolina fans were thinking about this, and they're really down in the tubes, the fans in Columbia. I just really demoralized by this loss today, and – just demoralized over the season 
like thinking like have they peaked under Muschamp and like is this the peak of their program like are they ever going to be able to compete consistently in the east and as of right now we're not so sure because this was supposed to be their year to like you know take another step and compete in the east and that hasn't been that way this year like in fact, I mean, you probably could say they've regressed this year from last year. Granted, last year they went eight and four with the softer schedule. This year they're looking at what maybe a six and six finish, and that's not really. I can't really say there's progress there. Can you? No, nah, I don't think so. Um, you know, there's still a chance that they are a better team than they were last year, since the schedule's gotten a lot harder. And I do agree with that to some extent. But uh, yeah, I mean. I honestly wasn't buying a lot of the preseason hype to begin with, but um, I definitely thought that they would be a little bit better than this. And, um, you know, I mean, granted, they were an underdog going into the game, so it's not like this is an upset by any means. But just to have that big lead and then blow it, um, you know, that's just – that's really tough. And I I remember, like, you know, back when South Carolina made the hire for Will Muschamp, we were both kind of like, you know, what is, I mean, what's the point of this? Like uh, he has been recruiting well, and I think that's something that South Carolina fans are really excited about, but you know, the performance on the field hasn't been great in the defense, which is supposed to be his specialty has not been great. Um, you know, Jake Bentley has been good, especially the last two weeks. He's been really good, but for the most part this year, he hasn't really taken that next step that we were talking about at the beginning of the season that he needed to take. But, you know, Florida has a pretty good defense and he had a good game today. So, you know, maybe that's something that he can build on going forward. But, you know, just like I said, this defense was really struggling today. I mean, literally, I mean, both running backs for Florida were just carrying guys. It wasn't like – like, you look at their final stats, are both over 100 yards. Um, and you might think, like, oh, maybe some of that came on, like, you know, just a couple really big uh, long carries, but they didn't. Neither right. one of them had to carry over 30 yards the whole game. You know, this was like they were getting the ball and they were literally – they were just getting 10 yards every time, like just running over people, dragging defenders. Like, I mean, it looked like a high school team out there <laughs> for uh, for South Carolina's defense in this game. It did. And and for Flor- and turning back to Florida, uh, this was a really good bounce-back game for them too because last week they got absolutely embarrassed by Missouri on their home field. And at that point we're thinking, are the wheels coming off of this team? But – they really bounced back this week and were able to uh, scratch and claw and get this victory. And like you were talking about South Carolina, I agree. Uh, the defense is – I don't know what's going on with this defense. You know, Muschamp is a defensive guy. You know, he's in his uh, third season there. So, you know, by now you kind of have to have your, you know, your system and your culture in place. And this is not really acceptable for Muschamp either because Florida had some really, really awesome defenses. And there's not a lack of talent in, in Columbia. Like, he's got a lot of talent on this team. So it's there's a lot of issues they got to really iron out, especially to finish the season before they go into next year. Because next year they really got to uh, show some improvement, you know, to show that the Muschamp hire was the right hire. Right, and uh, you know, I do want to give credit to Florida on offense as well, especially um, their offensive line. It was kind of a weakness early in the year, but they've really um, stepped up. You know, at least they stepped up in the second half of this game, and uh, they were really physical on offense in this game. It was really impressive to watch, um, you know, and you have to give them some credit as well. Um, but, you know, this is two weeks in a row that South Carolina's defense has really struggled. And, um, you know, the team they struggled with last week, Ole Miss, um, you know, South Carolina was able to get the win in that game. 
Uh, South or uh, Ole Miss was on the road this week against uh, Texas A&M and College Station, and uh, it was a another tough loss for Ole Miss. They had their chances in this game. They uh, they were up in the second half and they just couldn't close it out. Gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter. They were outscored 17 to three in the fourth quarter. End up losing by two touchdowns. So another tough loss for uh, the Rebels. It is and. The one thing that stands out for me in this game is turnovers. That's what really ultimately killed Ole Miss's game uh, today against the College Station was turnovers. Uh, you can't have turnovers, especially when you have a defense as bad as Ole Miss does. And, and A&M's offense was able to capitalize on these turnovers too. And that was ultimately what led to that victory for A&M. Yeah, and it was uh, another, you know, really great stat line for Jordan Te'amu, um for not um, – to, you know, 22 for 35, 373 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, he, he continues to play really well um, between the 20s, but whenever they get into the red zone, they, they still have some trouble punching it in. And, you know, they had to sell for one field goal and they missed another field goal. And then they had the defensive touchdown um, in the game. So on a fumble return, so not the best uh, – offensive performance, like at least once they got into the red zone, uh, but they were able to throw the ball against that A&M secondary. But, uh, you know, luckily for A&M, they were able to stop the run somewhat. And, um, you know, 30 carries for 67 yards for Ole Miss. And uh, that's after Scotty Phillips got hurt, um, you know, who's what, like third or fourth in the SEC in rushing. He's been having a big year. He's been a big playmaker for them. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you go ahead. Sorry, I no, didn't no, really no, lead no, you no, into no. that. <laughs> no, I, no, I didn't. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just, I was just agreeing with you about Scotty Phillips. And, no, yeah, no, no. Just... I, I wanted you to talk. I just kind of, I, I didn't really lead you in very well right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. Yeah, uh, good. This, this is why we need Alex here. I'm, I'm not too good yeah. at. Uh... Yeah, we're, we're we're missing Alex right now. Like we need Alex <laughs> to like roast us about y'all, bruh. This is not how you lead into a conversation. Then he would rewind <laughs> and have us restart. You know, talking about this game and have us do it the right way because we have to do this the bullshit way. And of course, bullshit is, you know, not with us tonight. So we're kind of having to wing this. But yeah, like I agree with you about Scotty Phillips. And but Will, Willard didn't do absolutely horrible today. But you know, you don't have a running game to complement your passing game. It's just not going to be that easy, especially in this conference. As we all know, like you got to be able to run the ball a little bit in this conference to have success. And Ole Miss, that's why they're five and five. That's why they're a 500 team right now. Exactly. And you know who did run the ball well today was Trevion Williams. 31 carries, 228 yards, including the game-clinching touchdown after uh, Ole Miss went for the onside, down seven. And then I think it was just one or two plays later, he breaks off a big run uh, to finish it off. Um, you know, we knew he was going to have a big game going into this. He's someone we highlighted on the preview show. Um, I joked that he'd probably break the – uh, SEC record for rushing yards in a game. I don't think he quite made it, but uh, he's definitely – it was definitely a shoe-in for Offensive Player of the Week, and I think it's pretty safe to say he's going to get it. Yeah, I would probably say that he's probably going to get our uh, full slap performer of the week for sure, especially on offense. But, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, other good performers too. Uh, next yeah, the next uh, performance I want to highlight uh, is not just the player, it's the unit. And that is the Mississippi State defense against the Alabama offense. 
Granted, Alabama scored 24 points in this game, but on that's just on paper. When we're talking about stat lines, it's incredible because uh, they were up, Alabama was up 21 nothing at half, and they were only held to three points in the second half. And technically, they needed to have Tua for most of the game too, even though State wasn't able to score. But 24 points—that's the lowest that Alabama has been held to all year, and that's. It's a testament to uh, the, the defense that State has, all the talent they have, and Bob Shoup in that system. It's been the perfect defense, but the offense just can't do much about it. You know, can't help it. Yeah, and uh, Alabama was held at 200 yards below their season average, uh, 27 points below their uh, season average. So uh, Mississippi State's defense definitely uh, did their part um, against Alabama. You know, there may have been a little bit of a hangover from the LSU game last week. Um, Tua did not play the fourth quarter uh, because he got banged up in this game, not because they were ahead. I think they knew that Mississippi State wasn't going to be able to score, and they just wanted to keep him safe. But he did take a bad hit um, on a blitz from the corner and uh, didn't return after that. It was limping off the field. So hopefully uh, he's okay. I know it's going to be the big story going forward. And obviously they have the Citadel next week, I believe. So, or whoever it is, it's not someone good. And uh, they're probably going to be resting him up for the Auburn game. And hopefully he'll be all right going forward. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> and no, the go ahead. About, you know, the thing about next week is Alabama does not need Hurts or Tua in this game. Even though Hurts is injured, I would not play any of those guys. Just roll with Mac Jones next week and rest both of those guys. Cause you can, I could play quarterback for Alabama next week and just hand the ball off to Damian Harris against the Citadel or whoever be able to yeah. still, still still be able to score 20 points and shut them out and give them a goose egg. Yeah, they are playing the Citadel. So, yeah, I don't think they need to play Tua next week. He needs to be rested up and healthy because even though Auburn hasn't been as good this year as we anticipated, it's still a rivalry game, and Auburn still has a good defense, and they will show up to play. So you, you're going to need Tua in that game, and then you're also going to need him the following week when you play Georgia in the SEC Championship. So next week with it being, you know, a gimme game, they need to just rest Tua and Jalen Hurts, too, and just let Mac Jones get some snaps in next week. Yeah, so uh, from Alabama's perspective, you know, that's pretty much it. I mean, this is probably, probably going to be the best defense they face uh, until the playoff, um, and they still were able to score 24 points. They scored on their first – they scored touchdowns in the first two drives, and then they scored another touchdown in the second quarter – and then they kicked the field goal in the fourth quarter. And the touchdown second quarter came off of came after a muff punt. Uh, so it was on a short field. But, you know, still not a terrible performance by their offense at all. And just like I said, Tua probably could have gone back in if they really needed him. And uh, I think once they had a comfortable lead, they got a little bit conservative, um, you know, knowing that Mississippi State had really no chance of moving the ball. And, um, you know, that's one thing that I worry about big picture for Mississippi State. You know, obviously Alabama's always really good on defense and you can't really judge your team based on what they do against Alabama. But in SEC play this year, Mississippi State's offense has been, especially on the road, just non-existent. Um, I mean, they've, they haven't really been able to do anything. Um, and uh, it's, the, it's the third SEC game they haven't scored a touchdown in. Um, and it's just – I mean, it's just really tough to watch. It's the fourth one where they've been in single digits. So, you know, Joe Moorhead is supposed to be this (laughs) offensive genius, and he's supposed to be, you know, Mr. 
you know, come in, throw the ball down the field and get put points up, but we haven't seen that so far. Right. And if and if you're a state fan, you just feel like this is a complete waste of a season with especially with this elite defense they have and with no offense to, you know, support it. It just feels like a complete waste. You know, only being six and four and having one of the best defenses in the country and only a six and four record to show for it. And you know, you flip it around, I want to give it also a shout out to Alabama because their defense, you know, was just looking, you know, not as so great, you know, beginning of the season. Like they didn't look like the Alabama defenses we were used to. It was still a good defense, but it wasn't the championship caliber. Well, how about this? The last two weeks, they have shut out LSU and Mississippi State, two of their biggest contenders in the West. So I want to give a shout out to them as well. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, just moving back to state, like I just can't understand. Like it's it's so hard for me to fathom how Joe Moorhead can't adapt his system this year to what this what the state offense is capable of being. Like if he just ran ran the system similar to what Mullen had last year, they'd be an eight and two team right now. No worse than eight and two. Yeah, absolutely. And um it's it's tough to see. Like I know that Joe Moorhead isn't used to uh having a quarterback like Nick Fitzgerald. He's used to, you know, someone more like Trace McSorley who's gonna, you know, be really confident and kind of more of a gunslinger and throw the ball down the field and maybe not run as much. Although McSoy did run a decent amount, which I thought was going to, you know, work for Mississippi State this year. I thought he was just going to be able to implement more of the quarterback running game from his offense at Penn State and maybe take out some of the passing stuff. But we just haven't really seen it. And the the worst part to me uh, isn't even so much that Fitzgerald doesn't completely fit a system as much as they're just not giving the running backs the ball. You know what I mean? I mean, no. Colin, Colin Hill, once again, averages like seven yards a carry in this game. And he's been doing that all year. He's a really good player, and they're just not giving him the ball. And I don't know why. No, I, I agree. And the biggest play of the game was that when, when Kylan Hill uh, bounced off the offensive line and, the, and a lot of the Bamboo defensive line and linebackers thought he was already down and the play was over. And he just, like, you know, starts jogging, trotting down the sideline waiting on blockers to come for him and just darts out of bounds at like 38 yard line, like on a 30 yard run. It was like the biggest play of the game for state too. <laughs> That's just kind yeah. of just like, it's kind of like how the game has went for state. Like they just could never get that big play to make a difference. Yeah. And that's the truth too. And that's what, I think that's what Moorhead is more going for. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know who to put most of the blame on or just chalk it up to Alabama being awesome. But you know, Mississippi State, like, every time Nick Fitzgerald dropped back to pass, like, he was getting pressured. So, it's not like he was just sitting back there all day and he was just throwing, you know, lame ducks all over the field. I mean, this was a – you know, he dropped back and he didn't have – and when he did have time, he did complete some passes, um, picked up some first downs, but, you know, obviously not nearly enough. Right. And, you know, as disappointing as the uh, State fans are, have been this season – I don't think it compares to the disappointment that has happened in the last two weeks and how the tunes have changed for the fans in Lexington, Kentucky. My God, the Kentucky Wildcats, like, it's last week's loss, you know, wasn't really that bad of a loss because it's Georgia and it was for, yes, it was for the East and they were at home, but it was a really good Georgia team. And even though they lost, they had a schedule remaining that if they won out, they would go to a New Year's Six. Today, they absolutely came in unprepared and it looked like they were just completely disinterested from the beginning of the game and lost to a really highly motivated Tennessee team. 
So I, I, I think they may be the most disappointed fan base in the SEC right now. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, I'd have to agree with you on that. Um, you know, this was really Kentucky's chance to uh, make a big bowl game and kind of prove to everyone that they're not just a basketball school. But, uh, you know, once again, it seems like right around the time basketball season starts, Kentucky just kind of falls apart. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just Tennessee on the schedule. I know they've really struggled with Tennessee. But, I mean, they just looked uninspired to me. Like, they just, like – they just looked like they didn't even want to be there and they were just disinterested and their season was over. They did. And the crazy stat is that Kentucky only had 64 yards of total offense at halftime. And they had less than 100 yards of total offense going into the fourth quarter. That's just completely unacceptable, even with a guy like Benny Snell as your running back. Benny Snell had 20 carries for 81 yards, but you would not have known that just watching the game because Kentucky's offense was just completely anemic, stagnant, could not move the ball. And then Tennessee's offense was able to do just enough. I think the the turning point in this game was right before halftime. Kentucky looked like they had Tennessee stopped, and Tennessee had a third and long with about 13 seconds left. And they ran a draw play and got the ball down to about the uh, Kentucky 45-yard line with six seconds left. Pruitt calls a timeout. And we're thinking, okay, they're going to just probably try to do a uh, quick pass to the sideline, try to take a long field goal. They don't. They uh, go for a Hail Mary, and Garantano heaves it down the field, and Callaway ends up coming up with the ball. They take a 17-0 lead going in halftime. And after that, I just – felt like yeah this is this is it like if that goes against you you're not going to come back and win this game right yeah and it was um you know it was what 10 to nothing when that happened so it was and it became I mean, a three possession game just before halftime like it was a it felt it was a backbreaker before backbreakers were supposed to happen like it was a backbreaker going into halftime they had all they gave all the momentum to Tennessee when it looked like they were going to just have a 10 nothing deficit to deal with right and that's you know I mean, that's the worst part is when you're a bad offensive team, you know, you know you're not going to be able to, to overcome a three-possession deficit on the road. I mean. Exactly. And, you know, the craziest stat, of course, I didn't get to do the preview show with you guys. Do you want to know the last time that Kentucky has won in Knoxville, Tennessee? 1984. Yep, 1984. This oh, game was, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was 1984. And – I like I I may have heard that somewhere like today like so like and then just forgot that I heard it somewhere but I swear I feel like I just guessed that <laughs> right and, and Tennessee and Kentucky play every year so in, in our lifetime Kentucky has never won in Knoxville Tennessee and this was their best chance to get a victory and they couldn't even pull it off today and like I think I remember telling you this in the preseason and even sometimes throughout the season no matter how bad Tennessee is or how good Kentucky is. Tennessee usually finds a way to beat Kentucky, with the exception of last year, which was the Butch Jones debacle. But, like, it just seems like it's always been the case in this series. No matter how good Kentucky is, even during their best seasons and Tennessee's worst seasons, Tennessee just finds a way to beat them. They're just – they're pretty much like their their own worst enemy. Right. And, obviously, Tennessee had a, you know, a lot going into this game as well. I mean, they still have a chance to make a bowl game. And they're at five wins now, so they aren't, they're only going to need one more. And they have uh, Vanderbilt and Missouri left, correct? That is, yeah. They got they play Missouri at home next week, and then they play at Vanderbilt in two weeks. So all they got to do is just split these next two, and they will be uh, bowling. So that'll be a good that'll be a good season for them. But yeah, that's a good testament to uh, Jeremy Pruitt too, and, and the staff and the improvement of the team this year. Like 
being five and five at this point, I don't, I didn't expect it. I don't think a lot of people would have expected him to be five and five and have two top 25 wins at this point. And especially the improvement, especially when we were looking back in September after their Florida loss, they've come a long way since then. So mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to give some credit to him. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of Vanderbilt and Missouri, they actually played each other today. And uh, another, another exciting game, uh, Vanderbilt jumped out to an early lead. It looked like they were going to run away with it early. Keyshawn Vaughn had a huge game, uh, had a long touchdown run on one of the first – it may have been the first play of the game. and uh, But Missouri was able to come back at the end and get the win. They had a big goal on stand um, in this game. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, did you catch much of this game? Yeah, I mean, I was flipping back and forth between this one, the Georgia uh, – sorry, Florida and South Carolina and also the Ole Miss a game. This is probably the third game of interest for me. Just uh, it didn't really excite me that much. I actually thought Missouri was going to uh, win this win more convincingly, just because you know Missouri has a more high, high, more high dynamic offense, and that's what I was expecting. But Vandy came to play today, and I thought that if Vandy had won today, it would have given a better scenario to have every single team in the SEC East to go to a bowl this year if Vanderbilt had found a way to win. Because Missouri hosts Arkansas the final week of the season which I expect them to get their sixth win there if they didn't win today. And then if Vandy had won today, that means they would only have to beat Ole Miss or Tennessee to get to a bowl. And then with Tennessee winning today, they'd only have to split their next two games as well against Missouri and Vanderbilt. But now that scenario I think is pretty much gone because I don't see Vanderbilt being able to beat Ole Miss and Tennessee in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I still think that they're going to win one of those two games, but I don't think they'll win both. And um, if you like uh, balance on offense, then today was probably your day for Missouri because they had 253 yards passing and 253 yards rushing. And uh, Crockett and Roundtree continue to have big games. Uh, They find a way to get both of them involved, and uh, they both had big games again for the second straight week. And uh, Locke had a a decent game, not a great game. Had a couple picks. you know, definitely not his best game, but you know, you got to give Vanderbilt some credit too, because uh, they're definitely they were definitely playing for ball eligibility today, and you could tell that they they were playing with a little extra uh, enthusiasm today. They have they host Arkansas the final week. They played Knoxville. I think next week's game is probably more of a toss up for Missouri, but I mean they're looking at at least a seven win season, maybe eight wins, and considering where they were a few weeks ago. Not really that bad. I mean, yeah, I guess it is disappointing by your standards because you were expecting them to break out. And in a way, I was, too. I thought they were an eight- or nine-win team. But if they can find a way to win these next two games and have an eight-win season, it's really not that bad for them. No, it's not. And, I mean, you know, you just go back and you look at their season and, you know, that Kentucky loss was just brutal. And that South Carolina loss in the rain was just a really bad one. And, you know, I, I keep saying this. Um, I feel like I'm the only person who remembers it this way, but they actually played Georgia really well. And they there was some back and forth in that game. They just, you know, had some dumb – there was a really bad turnover. There was return for a touchdown and then just some really untimely penalties. And uh, it looks like they're finally starting to put it together. You know, I mean, I guess better late than never. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And – Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully they'll be able to replace Drew Locke next year and kind of keep it rolling. Yeah, because that's, that's what I'm worried about, too, for Missouri is for Barry Odom is that their defense, you know, with Barry Odom being a defensive specialist, their defense is not 
where it needs to be, especially knowing that the offense next year is not going to be as good without Drew Locke. You know, that's that's been the guy that's kind of been carrying this team the last two years, and not having him next year is really going to hurt them. And that's why they got to capitalize this year, especially with Barry Odom too. Like they got to they got to find some stuff, you know, in the off season once Drew Locke is gone because. I don't know where that office is going to come from. No, I mean and, uh, it's, it's, it's a good it's a good system, but you know, it's just where's it going to come from without Drew Locke, your senior leader? Right, and I, I feel like part of the reason why they're able to run the ball so well is because they know the defenses know that they have to defend the whole field with Drew Locke at quarterback. I feel like if they had a different quarterback, then they could maybe load up a little bit more against the run. But since they have Locke, who can put the ball you know, pretty much anywhere on the field, he can, you know, they have to defend the entire field. But, right, uh, yeah. and then, uh, you know, I just, Kyle Sherman and Keyshawn Vaughn both played really well in this game too. I mean, they both had big games and, um, you know, it sucks for them because they're both kind of, I think a little bit underrated and they, you know, just continue to kind of be overlooked because they can't get wins, but, uh, it's not really all on them. Yeah, but at least now, you know, the pressure's off Missouri. Pressure's all on Vanderbilt now. But granted, they got th- these next two games they have are winnable games, and they're both at home. And, you know, for Vanderbilt, you just got to take it week by week. So next week, they're playing an Ole Miss team that isn't going to go bowling regardless. So they just got to find a way to win next week and then worry about playing Tennessee the following weekend, where both could be sitting at five and six, and the winner goes to a bowl, and loser is doesn't get bragging rights and is staying home for Christmas. Yeah, that's right. And uh, another big game that uh, we'll not so smoothly transition to is Auburn <laughs> at Georgia. Um, this is a game that Auburn came out early and it looked like they were ready to play. And um, they had to, they were up, or no, they were down. Jesus, what was the score? Uh, it was seven to six, right? Yeah. And then they had to settle for a field goal when they could have scored a touchdown and then Georgia goes right down and scores two touchdowns right before the half and kind of gets some distance. Yeah. And then Auburn was not able to do anything in the second half offensively and Georgia was able to kind of pull away. They were like, that was really the uh, momentum changer of the half or of the game was, it was a 13, 10 game. And I think Auburn had a chance to get off the field, you know, right before halftime and Jake Fromm throws an absolute dart down the middle of the field, I think, to, to Terry Godwin. And he just runs into the end zone right before halftime. I think it was like six seconds left. And when they – and that happened, and they went up 20 to 10. Once that happened, I thought, you know, this game's over. Like, I just it, – it's it's just, you know, like, it's hard to come back from that, you know, especially when you're ha- – right before halftime. Like, just backbreakers like that before halftime can really kill a team's, you know, demeanor and their motivation. Yeah, it can. And honestly, like, this game could have been way worse. Um Georgia had they they actually ran a fake field goal where they had a tight end wide open and the the kicker Blankenship overthrew them and uh, they had a couple red zone opportunities that they couldn't turn into touchdowns. Um, you know this whole thing with bringing in Justin Fields on the goal line like sounds like a good idea but it just it it hasn't been working for him at all. And, oh um, yeah, yeah. He you know he had five carries for minus twelve yards so I mean it was just. You know, I mean, I think Justin Fields is going to end up being a really good player, but they're just – they can't really fu- seem to find a way to use him, uh, to, you know, to fit his skill set. And uh, I thought Fromm had a really good game today. He didn't throw for a ton of yards, only 193, but 
he ran the offense really well, and that running game was uh, was really carrying Georgia. It was, and uh, give credit to John DeAndre Swift too. Like he had that one big run in the second half that pretty much blew the game wide open when they went up by um, you know seventeen points. But he had seventeen carries and one hundred eighty six yards. That's a really really good night at the office. And another thing about Jake Fromm is that he is definitely the better fit for Jim Chaney's system and what he wants to do. He's more of the pro-style quarterback. And I I, don't, I hate it when they bring in Justin Fields, too, because they don't ever have him pass the ball. When he comes in, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's either going to be a package that includes him running or him run, running a re- zone read. Like, it's just it's too predictable when Justin Fields is in there. Yeah, it is. And, you know, that's part of my point is, like, there's just – there's not a lot of, I guess, creativity or uh, – you know, it just doesn't seem like they're really using him in a very effective way. I, I think that's safe to say. But uh, going over to the other side, um, Jared Stidham continues to struggle throwing the ball down the field. His completion percentage wasn't too bad, but he, you know, really wasn't able to throw the ball down the field at all. Um, and Auburn continues to not be able to run the ball. So it's just kind of a – just not a very good offense right now. I mean, to put it to put it bluntly. It's not in there. Did you see that? Uh, I think it was a GIF. I don't know if it was you that posted about reading Gus Malzahn's lips during. Yeah, the game. that was. I retweeted it, but that was from. Uh, that was you that retweeted Auburn. it. Yeah, it was from some Auburn site. Yeah, okay. Oh, you're kind of fading in and out. On me. <laughs> Thought I heard a robot. Oh no, it's just me. Okay. All right. So we. Just have regular hold, but yeah, like that that uh that gif like that you retweeted. The words I interpreted is, "They better not find me." It was in the referee's ears all night. Is that how you interpreted it? Oh, I don't know. I like uh, I was reading the comments below, and there were so many uh, like different ones that once I once I read it like that, and then I went back and looked at it. I, I could see so many different things. Like I saw. Uh, like they better not fight me. They better not find me. They better not fire me. And then I saw, I think they're gonna fire me. Like come down here and fight me. And just like I don't know, just like all this like, <laughs> like like once you no, once I... you read them and then you go back and look at it, you can kind of see like a few of them. But I actually when I first saw it, um, I hadn't saw a caption with it yet, and I I thought it said they're gonna fire me, or they better mm-hmm. not fire me. I think is what I saw. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Well, knowing Gus Malzahn, I don't think he's going to care if he gets fired because he has a really awesome contract. So, I mean, he's going to get a huge fat, fat ass buyout if he gets fired. Yeah. So, the way I'm looking at it is, they don't. He doesn't want to be fined because he really got into the officials' ear in the first half on that targeting call, and I think he had a point there. I mean, it, I guess you know by the rule book it is a targeting, but in that situation, he wasn't trying to hit him with his helmet. Coming in on the play, that's how the in the crowd and the helmets what made the impacts first. And like I told you so many times, I absolutely hate this targeting rule. I think it's ruining football. And Gus Malzahn had a real beef in the first half on that on that you know horseshit targeting penalty. No, it's it's really is like kind of an epidemic in college football right now. I mean, it's just you know like I understand the you know the malicious hits like they're trying to take out the game, and I'm fine with that. But some of them are just like you know you can't really. Like, teach someone not to, you know, stuff like that's just going to happen, like, accidentally. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way, like, someone could literally do everything right and train the right way and 
have the right intentions and everything. And like, it's still just going to happen because it's football. And to me, like, you know, like the penalty is bad enough, but kicking someone out of the game, like, is just like, it's just overkill. I mean, it really is like, it's just, it's not fair. And it's like, you know, some of these teams, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know if this is really true or not, but I feel like it, it's really favors uh, like the really good teams because if someone, you know, obviously like, a defensive player on a really bad team, like they're probably not going to have like as many like good players. So if they lose one of their good players, they can't just replace them. You know what I mean? Versus like if that happens to Alabama or, you know, Michigan or Ohio state or someone like that, like it's a lot easier for them to replace somebody. And I I mean, I don't know. It's it's just like, I, 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 I see your point. Yeah. I definitely see your point on that. I just, the part that I hate the most is that they're eject. They're not ejected, but they are, suspended for the first half of the following game that's what pisses me off more than anything like don't don't put them don't get them in trouble for the next game just eject them for that game like that's just complete overkill yeah it is and it's it's just too much you know just like you're saying i mean it's overkill right but uh that being said uh i think it was big cat they got kicked out of the game our boy um (laughs) which uh sucked to see uh, I thought Auburn, like, you know, just like I said, like, they came out and they were playing hard. And, uh, you know, but, like, once they got behind, they knew that they weren't going to score uh, yeah, like, to get Auburn, back in the Auburn game. Yeah, Auburn fought hard. And, you know, in the first quarter had that lead, you know, 10-6 lead. And they had a chance to even, you know, extend that lead. And I thought at that time, hey, Auburn has a chance in this game. And even coming into this game, I thought Auburn had a good shot. Just because, you know, they felt like maybe they were starting to turn the corner. That seems like. Every undergast miles on, they always have been a second half of the season team. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I thought they were too. And um, actually, uh, I had five bets today and I won four of them. And the one I lost was Auburn because <laughs> I really I really thought that uh, they were going to go in there and play some motivated football and keep this game close. I didn't think they were going to win, but, you know, two touchdowns is a lot for a team as talented as Auburn in a rivalry game, you know what I mean? But right. should have put that money on Oklahoma State instead with the same logic, I guess. Right. So, curiosity, uh, did you put any money on this the LSU-Arkansas game? Um, I almost did, and uh, I didn't, and now I wish I would have because I was going to bet – here's the story. So, I don't know if you listened to the previous show at all, but – I had I was gonna bet Arkansas before the lines came out. I was like, Arkansas is gonna keep this game close. They're gonna find a way. But I also thought the line was gonna be like, like twenty one or like seventeen at like the absolute like lowest. And then it came out at like thirteen and a half. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me! Like, like I could like I don't know. Like once it was that low, I was like, I don't think I can take uh, Arkansas to cover that. But uh, they ended up. They ended up uh, sneaking up and uh, coming back in this game and covering uh, backdoor and LSU. It's going to be on bad beats, I'm sure. But, like, they had two chances at the goal line to put it in, and the running back just fell down. And then they told him that they wanted him – Orgeron told him they wanted him to score. And then he tries to score on the last play of the game and can't get in. So, they, there goes uh, the cover on that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> I thought that was really funny, too. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't ever do sports bets like you do. I really want to get into it. I just never, ever think to, you know, sign up and start doing it. I really want to get into it, though. I feel like it makes games more fun, especially the games that I'm not really paying attention paying attention to as much. But 
I guess even for the games I do pay attention to, to make it even more fun because it just add an extra dynamic to it, not just enjoying the game, but also thinking about you from a money standpoint. So then maybe you find a team you want to root for. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, that's just like you're saying, that's the perfect thing to bet on is games you don't really care about. And, uh, but a, a lot of times I find like the best value is on games that are, are not big games because the bigger the game is, like the more people are betting on it and the more the line is going to be about right, I feel like. And they're not going to really have too much of an advantage one way or the other. Yeah, so maybe bet on games like Troy and Georgia Southern. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you see the UAB Southern Miss game today? I did not. I I noticed that I know that UAB is having a really strong season under Bill Clark. They were eight and one coming into this game. Did they come back and beat Southern Miss? I hope they did. Um, well, I have to look it up now because I was I was actually nah. I was actually listening to it on I'm uh, looking up too. on the radio. Yes, they did. They won twenty six twenty three in overtime. So UAB is now a nine and one team. And you know uh, UAB is playing an SEC team next week. Yeah, playing Texas A&M, that's right. Yep. And that's actually almost a trap game for A&M because they play LSU the following weekend Yeah. in Aggieland. Man, UAB is a quiet, uh, quietly good team. Yeah. They, they, before this game, they had the number one scoring defense in the country. I don't know. They gave it 23 today, so I don't know if that uh, moved them out of the first place or not. But uh, anyway – just uh, there's your little <laughs> conference USA uh, update. I just uh, the only reason I asked is because I was watching or I was uh, driving tonight, and uh, the only game I could find on the radio is Southern Miss UAB because I actually live in Mississippi, not too far from Hattiesburg, so they were on the radio here. I was trying to find the Georgia Auburn game, but I couldn't couldn't find it. But uh, so you're just stuck stuck with Conference USA football. Hey, it was all right. It was better than nothing. And you know what? It is. Um, Southern Miss was leading, so the announcers were like super into it and having a lot of fun with it. Um, but yeah, so this LSU Arkansas game, um, not really a lot to say. Nothing really jumps off the page. Um, LSU got up early and then kind of fell asleep at the wheel. Um, their defense was lights out until about the last what, like five. 10 minutes of the game. Yeah. And then the biggest play was when Orgeron decided on, it was a fourth and one. His score was 24 to 10 at the time. And it was like seven minutes left in the seven or eight minutes left in the game. And it's fourth and one at the Arkansas 25 and Orgeron, instead of just letting Cole Tracy kick it, you know, to make it a three possession game, he goes for it on fourth and one and he gets stuffed. And then Arkansas takes over and they end up going down the field in like around two, just less than two minutes, scoring with about five minutes left in the game, pulling their, pulling the game within a touchdown. And at that point, I'm thinking, you know, this is really interesting. Maybe uh, Arkansas is working some magic here, and Ordron's about to give up another game because of going for it and fourth down. Because the one the one game I always remember, Ordron going for it and fourth down, that ended up costing him a job was when he played in the Egg Bowl, 2007 Egg Bowl. He went for it and fourth down against Mississippi State, and then Mississippi State stuffed him, and then that's what ensued and started to come back. Of course, he wouldn't have gotten fired if they lost tonight, but he kind of catch my drift. Like, Ordron has a tendency to go for it when you don't really need to. Yeah, that's right. That was the big uh, Derek Piggy's punt return uh, for Mississippi State that day. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> he uh, he got croomed, as they say. Crooms. That's the uh, this, that was the term back in the day for Mississippi State would uh, 
when Sylvester Kern was a coach, they pull an upset and then the coach would get fired. It happened to like yeah. four or five different coaches. I know there's three. It happened to Orgeron, it happened to Ron Zook, and it happened to Mike Shula. Yeah, I thought there was another <laughs> one too, but I just I thought know. it was those three. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's uh I, I don't know how much fun it would be for me to sit here and try to think about it for ten minutes, but no, I feel I feel I like there may be another I'll... one or two. Yeah, because that's also an era like you don't want to think about as Mississippi State fan. Because when you're saying you're getting creamed at the same time, it's almost like an insult. Like you lost to Mississippi State. Right. You're not supposed to lose to Mississippi State. That's how I look at it. <laughs> like that was that's how Mississippi State was viewed by the SEC in the late 2000s. They were one of the doormat programs, the doormat program of the West. Yeah. Before you know definitely. Mullen got there and and before Mullen got there and uh, helped him realize their potential. Yeah, that's right, and. uh Definitely not uh, not the best time in Mississippi State history, that's for sure. Um, Definitely not. I specifically remember a loss to Maine in there somewhere. That was in the 2004 season. And, uh, that was yeah. that was the second year, second season as no, no. That was uh, no, no. That was that was Kroom's first season as head coach. And uh, Derek Dooley's biggest uh, signature win uh, when he was at Louisiana Tech was beating Mississippi State. Uh, That's right. One of those years. <laughs> I remember that too. I think that was the 2008 season where that happened. So, fun times, and not so it fun is. if you're a Mississippi State fan like me. But it's all good. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, just like I was saying, there's re- there really wasn't a lot uh, really exciting about this game. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, it was kind of a boring game up until the very end. And uh, you know, Rakeem Boyd got hurt. I don't know. I don't have an update on him at all. I don't know, like, if he's all right or not. It looked pretty nasty when it happened. But, uh, yeah, the, the best the best part of this game was what happened with the blooper. There's going to be a blooper from this game that's kind of reminds me of the butt fumble. I don't, did you see it? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're talking about the jet sweep where he ran into the receiver? Yes, yes, and they got tackled by his own guy because they had a miscommunication, and they both ran into each other then fell to the ground and tackled each other. Yeah. That was that's just – That's almost as bad – That's. That's almost as bad as the Florida offensive linemen blocking each other. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was pretty bad. Definitely a little miscommunication there, and you know, LSU had tw- had yeah. twelve guys on that play. It seemed like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that made me laugh so much. I, I mean, I love bloopers too. Like, I don't know if that was funnier or the Florida linemen blocking one. I'm still gonna have to give the nod to the Florida linemen blocking each other during the. Uh, <laughs> Mush, during the Muschamp era when they were playing Charleston Southern. That's probably the all-time greatest blooper in SEC football history. Yeah. Well, Ty Story um, did have a pretty solid game. Um, he continues to, to play well when he's in there. They just really weren't able to run the ball at all. 19 carries for 16 yards. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> they're not going to do too much with that. And, uh, yeah. you know, they play Mississippi State next week. They get them 11 a.m., um, on the road, Mississippi State coming off the uh, Alabama game always seems to not play well after after the Alabama game. Um, so maybe it's shot for uh, Arkansas to to maybe get another win. Full season's over. They got two more chances. They're at Mississippi State, and I think they get Missouri at home. But I'm not 100 percent on that. It may be yeah, on the road. but I already I already I already said like a few weeks ago, Mississippi or Arkansas already had their chance of getting a one more victory against Ole Miss, and they blew it. Because I, I don't see Ole Miss uh, – not Ole Miss, sorry. I keep getting these – I keep saying the wrong teams because I'm talking too fast. 
I am saying that Arkansas will not beat it in, uh, Mississippi State and Starkville next week. They're not going to beat them, and they're not going to beat Missouri. So, I mean, Arkansas, I think, is going to finish 2-10. and 10. And, I mean, I'm not trying to get on Arkansas's, you know, jockstrap here. I mean, I'm not trying to not trying to make fun of them. I haven't said going into the season they're probably we're going to be the worst team in the conference just because they don't have the pieces for Chad Morris yet. But I'm definitely seeing some progress, even though the wins aren't there. They are definitely, uh, you know, getting his system in place. And as I can tell, all Hog fans just hang in there. Yeah. There will be improvement. You just got to let more let your coach get his guys in there and let him coach them up. And as far as uh, LSU, what do you what do you think about them in this game and going forward, like big picture was? For LSU, like this is just how they've been all year. Like they, they play down to the level of their competition. They're not a team that blows out anybody. I mean, this is what I expected. They just do. They do just enough to, uh, you know, win the game, but not, you know, in too close a fashion, but just comfortably. But they're not going to blow out teams by four touchdowns. Like that's just typical LSU. It's been typical for them under this under the season. They can play up to the play up to play anybody but then they can play down at the level of the competition too. So this, and everything from LSU tonight did not surprise me. Right. And do they have an SEC game next week, or are they out of conference? Do you know? LSU is hosting Rice. So that's that's going to be another victory. That's going to be a night game too. So we're looking at LSU being a 9-2 and two team going into their final game of the season hosting A&M. So obviously if LSU wins their next two, they are for sure going to a New Year's Six, probably will end up playing in New Orleans. Yeah, right down the road from them. And uh, forty-five minutes. One more thing from this game, JB, talking about Arkansas. Um, me and Alex were talking about how Arkansas and Missouri could maybe like add a little juice to the rivalry because you know the SEC is always trying to, you know, with the realignment and everything, they're trying to create like these new rivalries for Missouri and for Texas A&M since they're new to the conference. So, like, what do you think Arkansas and Missouri could do? to spice up the rivalry a little bit and add some juice to that rivalry. Hmm. They could do something Ozark related because, you know, they're both uh, pretty much in the Ozarks, you know, Columbia. No, I'm talking about like, uh, like something to like piss each other off. I, I mean, I guess you could say uh, Arkansas took their basketball coach. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I was mean, looking I, for something like more personal. It's like, I just, I really want to like start a fire, like, between these two schools, like, I'm just trying to figure out how we're going to do it. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it makes perfect sense for them to be rivals. They're bordering states, and they're the two closest schools, you know, to each other in the conference. Fayetteville is closer to Columbia than anywhere else. Columbia is closer to Fayetteville. So, they're natural rivals. They're not that far apart. And it's it's been hard for Missouri to find a rivalry in this conference. Uh, A&M already had some natural rivals, you know, from, you know, previous conference affiliations. They've, they've had a rivalry in the past with, with LSU. They got a rivalry with uh, Arkansas, so it wasn't much of a transition for A&M. But for Missouri, it has been a little bit more difficult. And I can understand why the SEC is pushing it, and, and that's why they made that the Thanksgiving game and, and you know, didn't have Arkansas and LSU playing you know, after Thanksgiving anymore. Yeah. Well, LSU and A&M, I could see a little bit more just because they, you know, they both recruit a lot of the same players and they recruit a lot of the same areas. You know, like Texas A&M will recruit New yeah. Orleans a lot. and. LSU will recruit, really pat, yeah. they'll recruit, you know, East Texas and Dallas and Houston. Yeah, because A&M, A&M and LSU both recruit East Texas highly, especially the Houston metro area. And both of them just have really passionate 
rabid fan bases too. Yeah, that really love their football, and like that's and that's 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 going to be a rivalry. I think that's going to be a heated rivalry one day because both of them should be at the top of the West every year. Yeah. Like they they both have all the facilities, the resources, the money backing, the fan bases to be a top five, top ten program every year. Right. We just need some, we just, just need something like on the field to like spice it up or like one of the coaches talking shit. Or just something we like, like we need someone to like go into this. We need a and like, yeah, exactly. We we need someone to just like talk crap and like, you know. Because uh, that, I, I just so wish funny, I could like, think of something like funny, but like maybe like yeah. uh, Barry Odom could come up with something witty for like what like Woo Pig really means, and like maybe <laughs> like uh, like I don't know, maybe. Uh, Chad, Chad Morris Chad. could come up with a funny acronym for M-I-Z, like kind of like the Free Shoes University thing. And just... Yeah, like I can't, ima- I can't imagine Chad Morris going that route. I could see Barry Odom, you know, having a little fire in his belly and trying to spice it up. But I, I think Chad Morris, you know, he's just going to be reserved about it. But yeah, that's what's, not, that's what's so funny about these rivalries. Like some of them are formed just by words. Like Tennessee and Florida did not really have a rivalry before Spurrier got to Florida. Then when he started, you know, having his one-liners, that's what really started up the rivalry. So that's, that's really all it takes is just, you know, a few words spoken. So what and you're saying really... is we need to get Arkansas to fire Chad Morris and hire Steve Spurrier? We need one of these coaches to be like Steve Spurrier <laughs> and just speak what, and speak what's on his mind and not just do coach speak in the press conferences. We need a coach that's going to say what's exactly on his mind. Someone like a Dan Mullen, but Dan Mullen, you know, is still a little bit more coach speak at times, but – we just need someone like Spurrier that says what's on his mind and then backs it up. Yeah. Demo and talk shit when it's in his best interest. He does. C. Spurrier doesn't care. But usually when C. Spurrier did, you know, have his little jokes, he could always back it up. Like, I never really considered Spurrier much of a shit talker. He would always just, like, you know, have good one-liners. And the best thing about Spurrier is that he would say, it's the defensive coordinator's job to stop me. It's not my job to take the foot off the gas. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, uh, you got anything else, or are you about ready to wrap this thing up? I think I am ready to wrap it up and start researching for next week's games. Next week's slate is going to be absolutely awesome. The best week of the season. Yeah, that's right. Best week of the season. Got to get ready for Alabama to play Citadel. We got to watch UAB and Texas A&M. Uh, the best game of the week is going to be Tennessee-Missouri. What a dandy. <laughs> Yep, that's exactly right. This is the the week where all the national media gets to just rip on the SEC for playing out of conference games. It so, is. At least, at least uh, the the blue bloods all get their uh, their bye week. They're the second bye week this week, so <laughs> we'll get to listen to that all week. But anyway, thanks for uh, listening in. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Uh, you can follow me at Holt Smash eleven sixty six. You can follow my friend JB at, is it Mr. JB, Mr. Underscore JB Brooks? Is that right? Mr. JB Underscore Brooks. You're oh, close. Sorry, my mistake. And then if you want to follow Alex, um, who couldn't make it tonight, you can follow him too. He's at Bullship1 with two Ps. So follow us and uh, <laughs> be sure to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can do that too. Leave us a five-star rating if you would be so kind. Even if you don't mean it, like, you know, it would just help us even, out. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, even if you don't mean it, I mean, we're asking nicely. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're asking nicely. And I know like we get some people that, you know, people that write re- reviews, usually they're going to write them because they want to have something negative to say. And I get it. 
I understand. Like, if we say something about your team you don't like, I get it. You're going to say, oh, your show's horrible. We don't like you. Okay, we understand. We're not going to – we're not here to, like, appeal to everybody. We say what's on our mind, but and even though Holt might have some bias, I might have some <laughs> bias at times. We try to – we don't really – we don't ever let that get in our way. We will speak objectively about every single team on our on on the in the conference. I am not going to speak objectively about it. I do not put any kind of hate in, in toward any of these uh, schools. I thought, so I like, thought if I say something bad, it's it's out it's out of it's out of goodwill. If I say anything bad about your team, it's just brutal honesty. But it's also out of goodwill because I don't hate any team in this conference. JB, I really except 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 one. I'm not going to say it. Florida. No. No. Alabama. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, I really thought you were about to throw me under the bus right there because you were like, even though Holt may be biased, <laughs> and then, like you said, no, you, you said usually, me too. It's usually me that's under the bus in that. But uh, yeah, it's you know, so, somebody called us fanboys, and I mean, I am a fan and I am a boy, <laughs> so I guess that's theoretically true. Yeah. Yeah, I think someone was mad. I think it's probably mad at you because you were the one that was. Talking so much about Kentucky. I didn't so, even I mean, say anything bad. Like I don't even know what I said. You really weren't. No, you really weren't. I mean, sorry. If you say something negative about a team, of course the, the fans gonna say, "Oh, that that guy hates that team." No, we none of us hate any team. Yeah. We're just gonna speak objectively. We love SEC football. I do hate Ole Miss and yeah Auburn and somewhat Tennessee. Even though like we never play them, I just don't. I don't like Tennessee because yeah. I grew up in Tennessee and I know like way too many Tennessee fans. Not JB, but. Way too many Tennessee fans who are just really annoying and act like they're like Alabama 2.0. Yeah, but even if you hate all this, like even during the Chad Kelly years, you would give them credit for how good they were. Oh, yeah. They had some really good teams. They're good they now. Really good they got some really good receivers. Like, I mean, did you see that Elijah Moore guy play today? Yeah. Like after uh, Metcalf got hurt, they move Brown outside and then they bring in this true freshman slot receiver and then he's just out there making like one end of catches and just. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's crazy, man. Yeah. But, yeah, enough of this uh, trying to get you to not write negative reviews. We hope you don't write anything negative, but you do, you know, to each his or her own. So feel free to do that. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here on that before we keep rambling on for another hour and a half. So, uh, JB, it was good uh, good podcasting with you. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you sometime around Thanksgiving. You will. I mean, we will eat a lot of good food and maybe get a few dances in there. And not together. Watch a lot of football. Yeah, not together. <laughs> uh, that's a little bit, that, was a little bit, that was a little bit TMI. But uh, on that note, we will see you guys later this week for our preview for week 12. In the meantime, eat a lot of food, y'all. Peace. Peace.